This is a very special podcast. Recently, I had the great honor and privilege to sit down with Sister Bridge McKenna. Now, before I share our conversation together, I want to tell you a little bit about Sister Bridge so that you will know why she has a special place in my heart. Sister Breach has a special healing ministry to priests. She travels around the world ministering to priests. She encourages them to remain devoted and faithful to their calling. Sister also travels around the world and speaks to thousands of people in packed stadiums, sharing the great healing love of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, I first learned about Sister Breach on my very first pilgrimage to Medjugorje in 2017. Our Medjugorje guide, Ann Vucci, who partners with Tecton Ministries to lead amazing Medjugorje tours, shared the story about Sister's vision. Now, in 1981, just one month before the apparitions began in Medjugorje, Sister Breege was in Rome taking part in a special gathering of members of the Charismatic Renewal. This group was invited over by Pope John Paul II. During the gathering, Sister Breach met with a group of priests from the Mostar Diocese in Yugoslavia. One of the priests was very concerned about the youth in his diocese, and he asked Sister Breach to pray with him, to pray for those youth who were losing their faith and who were being enticed by communism. I'm going to read you now Sister's account of what happened as they prayed together. What I saw was this Croatian priest sitting in the main celebrant's chair in front, and he was looking into the body of the church, and it was packed with young people, and from behind him on the altar there were streams of water like rivers flowing, and young people were cupping it and drinking it, and after they would drink it, they would go out and bring others in. I said to him, you know, Father, you don't have to worry because many young people will come to your church. I shared this with him. And I told him that I saw a white church with two huge steeples. And when I said this, almost immediately, Father Tardif, who is a sacred heart priest, a missionary, walked over to where we were praying, and he shared a prophetic word. He could not have heard what I had just said because my words were being translated. But Father Tardif walked over and said to the Croatian priest, You know, Father, Our Lady is going to visit your church. Less than a month later, the apparitions in Medjugorje began. After my second pilgrimage to Medjugorje, I came home and read Sister's book, Miracles Do Happen. As I finished the book, I approached Father Dan Rehill, who was my pastor at the time. I was working as the director of religious education in our parish, and I said to Father Dan, we should invite Sister Breach to visit St. Edward. Well, Father Dan agreed, and we extended the invitation. By the grace of God, Sister accepted and planned to host an Advent mission that coming December. Well, as we all know, the world came to a halt in the spring of 2020. As December rolled around, I was so worried that COVID would cancel our mission and Sister would be unable to come to Nashville. But Sister was still willing to come and share a mission with us. I was so blessed to spend a week with her, coordinating her talks at different churches and chauffeuring her back and forth from the church. Our family was blessed to have her visit our home for an authentic Irish meal prepared by local Irish priest, Father Patrick Fitzsimons. Now, Sister is 
she is contagious. Her, it's When you speak with her, when she shares her faith, it's contagious. And she inspires you and encourages you. And her zeal, you see this zeal and this love that she has for the Catholic faith. She shares this through her amazing stories about her work around the world. She shares the miracles that she has seen take place because of the love of Christ. And so I hope you catch just a little glimpse of that in this podcast. Podcast. I hope you are inspired. I hope you see what an abundant love that God has for you. And I hope that you see what a gift we have in the sacraments. This is the Catholic Life Coach with Jenny Gwynn. This podcast is designed to share powerful life coaching concepts through the lens of scripture, church teachings, and the lives of the saints. My goal is to equip and encourage you to live a happy, healthy, holy life so that you can be the light of Christ for those around you. Hey friends, thank you for joining me this week for my podcast. I am so honored and feel so blessed to have Sister Breege McKenna with me this week. Hi, Sister. Hi, I'm delighted, Jenny, to be with you also and to be able to share with all your listeners. Thank you, Sister. So at the beginning of your ministry um, as a sister, you didn't feel well. You were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and it was debilitating. It sounds like you yes. suffered a lot. And and even during that time, you had some dryness in prayer. You, you know, were beginning to maybe doubt your faith, wondering who God was and how he was working in your life. And, and as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about what you were going through. So many people can relate to that pain and suffering and just like wondering where is the hand of God. So will you just share with us like how you got through that? Because I know on the other side of that was like this beautiful gift and yes. and everything opened up for you. Yes. Well, you know, Jenny, I, it, looking back now, I often compare it to life is like a, a mosaic. And if you're, if you're very close to a mosaic when it's in the process of being made, you don't really understand what what's going to be the finished product, which none of us do yet. Right. But um, my life was was as a little Irish girl, very happy and and uh, an Irish Catholic home until I was thirteen, and in thirteen my mother um, died on Christmas Day, leaving my my dad and and four boys myself, and it was on that day that I look back now and say. Um, I would have said I heard a voice that it was my mother saying, don't worry, Breach, I'll take care of you. In my desperation of losing my mother at that age. And yet it was that day, the following day, that the, that the Lord, I'm sure, dropped into my consciousness that I had a vocation to the religious life. So I was 30 and a half. So I went to, back to school afterwards, really lonely for my mom. But I eventually... When I was in high school or just beginning, um, after but a couple of months after my mother died, I decided to go see the Mother General of the Poor Clares, and I didn't tell anybody, including my father. So nobody really knew. But I did. You know, people get confused because I was like, I don't really want to be a nun, and at the same time, I kept feeling this call, and I had a lot of. Um, 
thoughts in my mind. But then it, it kept predominantly coming back, you know, and, and taking over my, my, my mind. And I thought, I'll go and ask what you have to do. So when I went to the poor Clares, the Mother General said to me to come back later. So I'm back two weeks later. I thought, no, two weeks is long enough for her to make up her mind. <laughs> so, and she took me in at 14 and a half to see if I was authentic, probably, you know, because it wasn't really something they would do at those times. And when I was 15, so in the meantime, I go to my father. She said, you'll have to get permission from your father. So I went to my father and he uh, said, well, if you want to be a nun, the boys will do what they want. And, you know, what do I have to do? So I became a, a postulant at uh, 15, he brought me to the convent, which was wonderful for an Irish father and only daughter to do. But um, he did. And I entered, I was given away as a bride at 16 after my candidate's time. And I loved it. But when I was 70, I made my vows at 16. And I was studying then. And it was then that I was stricken with this a very severe onslaught of rheumatoid arthritis at 17. And I went to Belfast and was in a hospital there for a couple of months. And then I was at the mother house with casts on my feet for the two to three years. Every night they would put me into casts so that my feet would try and prevent the deformity. And then in 1967, I was making my final vows. And the mother general had told me that had I not entered so young... If this disease had happened before my vows, I would have been dismissed. But, you know, God had a plan in getting me right. in early. So a nun came home from America and from Florida, and she said uh, she knew that I had this bad arthritis. She knew I was making my final vows. And they were really desperate to get sisters in Tampa because nobody wanted to go to America. And this is way back 50-plus years. <laughs> and you, if you went, you weren't sure you'd ever get home again. And... There was no te- television, all these electronic and FaceTime didn't exist, of course. Anyway, she said to me, you should really go to America because the sunshine in Florida is beautiful and will help you. So I thought, great, because I was in a lot of pain and I, was ta- I wasn't taking anything, but I started to, you know, the doctors wouldn't give me cortisone or anything in Ireland because they felt I was too young. So I, I volunteered to go to America. And they were so badly off that the next day the Mother General said, yeah, we'll accept you to go to America. So I made my final vows and I came to Florida. And you know, Jenny, I tell people, I got off that plane in Florida and I thought, this has to be hell. It was so hot and I was in the old habit and it was so humid. And it was the worst place. So then I thought, this nun, this is how she, she got me to go to America, telling me it was wonderful. <laughs> but I went to the doctor and... He was amazed that I got into America. So he said, I can't guarantee you any cure, but I can give you medicine to ease the pain. So he put me on cortisone, lots of drugs, one to counteract the other. And by the time I was 23, I was taking like 30 pills a day. Wow. So it was then that there was a, there were a lot of priests and sisters leaving, young sisters and priests. And I had never thought of leaving. I was naturally a happy person and I loved the nuns and nothing was too much to do. But but what happened was, and I think, you know, and I say this to your listeners, that not all crises are bad. You know, sometimes God allows a crisis in his permissive will to get you to move 
to think, why are you doing this? Like, say, for example, people go to Mass, but they just go out of habit. We see, I was in religious life. I was saying my prayers, doing all the right things. But I wasn't really in love with Jesus. It wasn't a personal relationship with Jesus. And then I started to think, you know, these nuns are leaving. They're good people. It could happen to me. What's going to keep me in the religious life? <clears throat> and, and I thought, I wouldn't die for Jesus. I, people would say, oh, sister, you're so young and beautiful. Look at all you give up for Jesus. And I'm thinking, I didn't give up that much. I mean, I was completely, <laughs> you know, saying, I mean, it's just a normal thing. I just say my prayers and do all the things I'm supposed to do. And then in my heart, I started getting, you know, this is really not going to last. I don't, I am not full of enthusiasm. I don't have that zeal. I don't really know Jesus. And then I began to say to myself, do I know him? And I remember the day of my vows having a glimpse. It was just a moment's experience of seeing the good shepherd walk across the altar and looking at me. That's all I remember. That was the only experience I had. But the rest, you know, I did it because that was your, you know, what you do. And I was naturally happy. So when I, this came to me, I thought, there must be more to religious life. There must be more to Catholicism. Because I meet, you take the Eucharist every day. And it was at that time that the charismatic renewal was just beginning to become more widely known. And of course, I was afraid of it because Catholics in Ireland went to Mass and Protestants went to prayer meetings. So for me, it was, you know, it wasn't something that I, I thought, well, it wouldn't be doomed. I'm a Catholic nun. But God bless the Sister Emmeline, who later was miraculously healed herself. She um, said to me, oh, you must come to a prayer meeting. And I was introduced to the renewal and I thought they were wonderful, but I kept thinking, it's really not my style, you know. And, uh, but they say if you, if, you go to, if you go near a fire long enough, you, it'll catch you. Right. So I kept going, and, um, in, and then I went away to make a retreat, not to be physically healed, because I didn't ask for physical healing. I wanted to know Jesus and fall in love. I wanted this, which is for everybody, not just charismatics and quote this release of the Holy Spirit because I was born on Pentecost Sunday and I, you know, I wanted to be more, you know, in touch with Jesus and love. And when the priest, you know, was offering this retreat in Orlando, myself and another sister said, we'll go. And I went to the retreat and I said, I'm not looking for gifts. I'm not looking for anything, but all I want is to fall in love with Jesus. All I want is to be a nun who's on fire for Jesus, not some projects or getting into all kinds of things that really wasn't what he called me to. And at a quarter to nine on a Sunday morning in 1970, I know the exact moment, I met Jesus. I, I felt his hand touch my head. A power went through me. I jumped up and I started singing in tongues. I haven't a note in my head. And people said, what's tongues? I said, when you cannot express... St. Francis of Assisi prayed, and Brother Juniper didn't know what he was doing. On the hills, he, he had a language, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, a prayer gift. And uh, it's, it's, it surpasses the, the intellect, the will, and everything, because it doesn't satisfy you, because it's a prayer of the soul. And so I found myself praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. And 
everything left me. The arthritis completely healed. And when I went back to the doctor, he cried. He said, I know that this has to be a miracle. I believe in Jesus. And that, like any fire, I mean, I had this big blaze of a fire that burst forth. But then you have to keep timber, coal on the fire. Right. So, because it'll go out. Nothing's last if you don't make a relationship with Jesus personal and every day. So I started to pray for hours. I read the scriptures and it was the beginning of, and that is, here I am now, 62 years in religious life. Amen. And it gets better. Oh, I'm celebrating my diamond jubilee this year. My diamond jubilee of profession. That's how old I am. But I I just keep thanking Jesus. And uh, as long as I can continue the ministry of the Lord, I'll do it. Just like Father Kevin, my co-worker, he worked, we worked together 43 years. And he said, Breach, when I die, I'm putting my order into Jesus. I just want to lie down and die. I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to an old folks home. I want to work up into the time. And he got everything because he worked in Germany, came back to Florida, visited all his family in Ireland, came back to Florida. And at one day, sick. And then he just lay down and died. Wow. So, Sister, when you talked about that time that you were feeling a little lukewarm and maybe you didn't have that intimate relationship yet with Jesus, how how did the Eucharist, how did you connect with Jesus and the Eucharist? Well, when, when I got this, you know, yes, I was lukewarm, but I didn't know I was lukewarm. Because, you know, if you're talking about dryness in prayer, I just prattled away and said the prayers, all the prayers. Just went through the routine. I went through the routine. But, um, and I don't think I was looking for consolation. I just thought, well, this is the way it is. So, but I was lukewarm because I was only, I wasn't, um, you know, I said the prayers, but I didn't, there was like a void. But it wasn't something like now you go through, like Mother Teresa went through dryness all her life. Right. She had no consolation, but she persevered in it because the dryness is going to happen at any time. It's like if you read the Lord is my shepherd, you, it gives you a description. You go into the valley, but you come out. Now, during the time when my miraculous healing happened, when I fell in love with Jesus, that's when I fell in love with my Catholic faith. That's when the Eucharist became alive to me. And that's why I say to Catholics, I mean, I loved the Mass. I went to Mass always as a child. But I didn't understand it. I understood it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, it was, became real to me, more powerful. And I say to all Catholics, you know, and those listening to it, you know, pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray, read John chapter 6 and realize, you know, that... that what Jesus said in the Gospel of John 6 is what the Catholic Church for 2,000 years has never deviated from. Satan has tried, and he's tried to, to get us to, to all kinds of, of, of highways and taken us off courses and are, are introducing all kinds of things into the Mass. But the Church has always been very um, protective of this sacrament. So I grew up, the Mass was in Latin when I was young. I, I answer the Mass in Latin. And while I love the Latin, and it's a beautiful uh, language of the Church, yet I have to say for myself personally that uh, I was delighted when I came into English because I could understand the prayers. I could, and I don't, you know, I'm nothing against the people going to the Latin Mass. But personally for me, 
my biggest grace for the Mass is that I know it's Jesus. I know it's the victory, know it's of, the victory of salvation. And so, the, but then when, when I got the gift of healing is when then I, I, I shared this many times that then when, when God asked me and said to me on Pentecost Sunday, and I went into the chapel to pray, I was very happy doing prayer meetings and I worked and went to the prisons and, you know, I was on fire for Jesus. But I had also a deal with Jesus because I, I thought, I'm doing great. Jesus couldn't ask me to do any more. And you look back and you think, you know, I was doing it. Jesus should be happy with me. And I'm thinking, how arrogant to even think that way. Because, first of all, I I was doing all the things that were safe. Right. It wouldn't, wouldn't cause you any, any bother. But then when Jesus, on Pentecost Sunday, I was led into the chapel. And there in the chapel, the Lord said to me, you have my gift of healing, go and use it. And my hands burnt and I felt nothing, but this burning sensation went out of my hands. And I looked at Jesus, I said, Jesus, I don't want any gift of healing. Keep it yourself. I'm a teacher. There's no way I could. And I had a whole fight with Jesus. And uh, then I got sorry, not because what I said to him, but because I thought, this is really pride. I mean, who am I to think, you know? And I dismissed it. And I said, that couldn't be possible. So I left the chapel and the next day was Pentecost and I was in this meeting, uh, prayer meeting, and a woman came over to me and a nun. And she said, oh, this little boy here with a very severe foot deformity. And Sister Breach, just because it was an probably said to me, I'd like you to pray with us. And I didn't find out until later the child was healed. Remarkable. But in that first time, I never said, I was, you know, very hesitant. And I made a deal with Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'm not telling anybody about this thing in the chapel. I'll do the praying, you do the telling. So I went to California to go to summer school. Still never mentioned my experience in the chapel on Pentecost. And when I was in California, I was sitting at a at a meeting in a parish and it was it was I think it was a charismatic speaker in one of the parishes where I was. And I hadn't talked to anybody, didn't know anybody in California because I was going to Fullerton University for or college for summer school. And and this man turned around to me with a grey suit and a collar and he put his hand and he said, Sister, you have the gift of healing. You know you have it. Jesus spoke to you in your chapel. When are you going to use it? And I'm from Northern Ireland. And, you know, it's very easy to say you're not prejudiced or you're not this or you're not that. But we don't know because we, if we live in divided communities and if we don't um, ever mix and if I never heard in my home, but, but I read it and I heard it, you know, we were Catholics and they were Protestants. So when, I, when this man said this to me, he was Episcopal, I think, or Presbyterian. So he says to me, you know, God spoke to you in your chapel. When are you going to use this gift? I said, he's a Protestant. How would he know? And that's when the Lord showed me my, my prejudice. And then I said, he said to me, tell me what happened. I thought, he's a mind-controlled reader. And then he said to me, he just looked at me with the most penetrating eyes. He said, I, Jesus will never force you. He makes his will known to us. And I told him all the reasons it couldn't happen because my mother general and because of the bishop and, and eventually coming back, I went to university and at the college, these, it was the times of the hippies, you know, and all these 
all kinds of people. And these fellows would be in projects, doing classes with us, and they would say to me, I don't know anything about nuns or anything about what you all do, but there's something about your hands when I take your hand. What gifts do you have? And they were non-believers. So, you know, Jesus was giving me all these signs. So I made a deal with them, and I said, Jesus, coming back in the plane. I can't tell them in Florida, but you do it. You tell them, and I'll really pray. And God put me to the test, because the first prayer meeting I go to, a woman stands up. I wasn't even talking about healing. And she said, Sister, you are more worried about what people think than doing God's will. When are you going to use this gift of healing? You have a gift of healing. And I thought, she said, I came here to this retreat center today looking for the young Irish nun. And this was an American order. I wasn't, nobody knew I was going to be at the prayer meeting. And she said, I'm from Quebec, Canada. And I got a message from the Lord. I saw you on my wall. Can you imagine? And she said, Jesus told me to go to Florida and I will lead you to the nun that I want you to give a message to. And I said, did Jesus tell you I was Irish? I was making light of it. And uh, she said, no, but I was there the day you were miraculously healed at that retreat. And that's where she recognized me. So that's when I said to Jesus, he showed, then the Lord gave me this insight that I was like a house on the day of my vows. I had said to Jesus, oh, I give you my whole life. But he showed me the house. I walk. He walks into the house, and there's a room reserved, and that room is private property. And in this vision, he said to me, "What happened in this room here? Can I not go in there?" I said, "No, no, Jesus. I give you everything, but I want that little bit for myself." He said, "If you don't open it, you will never know my freedom and my love. It was my reputation, the good name, what people thought about me, and about." Just my, myself, I was protecting myself, but I was using my obedience, my order. So I surrendered, and the rest is history. Well, and I think that goes to show we have a God of such great abundance. Like, he gives more than we ever can imagine. Yes, and he's very patient with us. Yes. Even that. Because, you know, we stumble and fall, but Jesus never gives up on us. And that's why it says in one of the Psalms, where can I hide? If I go to the top of this guy, he's there. If I go to every place you go, he's going to be there telling you, you know, I love you. And if you would only listen to me, life wouldn't be so complicated. And uh, that's, it's true. And that he's never outdone in generosity. I mean, the biggest cr cross that I got was when my aunt was dying and I was down in Brazil and my general gave me a ticket, told me to come back because she was like a mother to me. And I was going to Holy Communion. And getting ready to fly to Sao Paulo, I was I had a whole mission planned in Latin America. And the second day, leaving uh, Lima or Bolivia and coming into uh, to Brazil to start. And then Jesus said to me at communion, I don't want you to go home. I want you to stay here. And that was the first test because what I was doing was good to see my aunt who was dying. Uh, I would never see her again, I thought. And my superiors gave me permission. I had the ticket. I had everything planned. And I was about to go to the travel agent. And Jesus said, but that's not my, my will. I want you to stay here. So I had to die to that desire that my aunt had only two days to live. And I spent eight weeks across Latin America. And eight weeks later, when I called to see how she was, I pretended I didn't know. I thought she's dead. The girl told me, the day we called you to tell you, one of the families, uh, your Aunt Lizzie, was on her deathbed and she turned around and she said to the doctor, how are you doing doctor? And she started to talk and she lived and 
I went home and she said to me, I was going to Jesus about two months ago. And she said, I was going to a beautiful place. And she wasn't a super religious woman. She's a good Catholic woman, but this was not her language. She said, I was going down a corridor. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm not coming to take you yet. You have to wait for Breach to come home. And she wait, She was there. I prayed to her. She said, no, you go back to America for, and do what Jesus called you to do. And she died two days later, but I saw her alive. And the Lord said, I can never be outdone in generosity. I thought I was giving it up. But I was selfish because all these thousands of people in stadiums and everything were waiting for me. It was all planned by through the bishops and everything that I was going to do this tour of Brazil and all these countries. And at the first drop of a hat, I was going to leave it all and go. And sometimes Jesus asks us, even in marriages and in in, in every state, that there's good things you can do, but sometimes Jesus will say, but there's a better thing to do my will. And that can be hard at times to because you say, well, it's what I'm doing is really good. It's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes Jesus will say, but I have a better plan. Well, and I think that's where our faith comes into play because in our human minds, we can only see it one way, yes. almost with tunnel vision. And with God, it's everything. We just yes. have to step out of his way. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, Sister, will you tell me, I have a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother. How has the Blessed Mother impacted your life? How has she, oh, very she encouraged so. your ministry? Well, first of all, I grew up, you know, in a, in a, in a Catholic home. We said the rosary. And... Uh, when, uh, when I started in this ministry, you know, we've always, because I was in the convent so young, I've always prayed to Our Lady. But it wasn't until the heal, the, that I begun when I got this healing ministry. And I was very aware that it's not a common thing in the Catholic Church to have a nun roaming around the world and, uh, and, and miracles happening, which they did in the beginning. Um, but there was, I had this sense and I'm sure this was the Holy Spirit at work in me, of the danger of me becoming a celebrity or famous. People always say, are you the famous? And I said, no, no, I work for a famous person. <laughs> right. There's a difference. And so I, I got the inspiration to, I wanted to be in the heart of the church. I didn't want to be on the fringes. I want to be in the center of my faith and as a Catholic nun. And I felt the drawing to go to Lourdes to pray to Our Lady, to please teach me how to minister this healing ministry that it wouldn't be drawn crowds to me because people would come to me, they wouldn't go to Mass, they, wouldn't, they weren't practicing their faith, they would go to the Pentecostal churches, leave the Catholic church, and then somebody would say, oh, there's a great healer, you know, this nun's a great healer. So they were disconnected from the faith, many of them. Right. Because, you know, they're desperate and they're looking for a person like, you know, to heal them. And so, and I was on the other side, and because I was very connected to my faith and loved the Eucharist and loved the faith. And it bothered me when people would be looking for relics and coming to Sister Breach, can I touch you? And all. So I went to Lourdes and that was with my, my I sense of the motivation to go. Um, so when I was at the grotto, I really prayed and I had a beautiful experience there because I was sitting on the side street in Lourdes having a cup of coffee when, when this person came towards me with the same diocese I'm from in Armagh in Ireland on a pilgrimage and came up to me and before you know it the Cardinal of Ireland who knew me came and I went over to him and he said oh there's there's about a hundred people from your own diocese 
and parishes, he said, would you come and, and pray with me and uh, come over and visit the sick in Lourdes? And it, I was only there for a couple of days, but I ended up ministering in Lourdes at the invitation of the Cardinal, who is my home diocese in Ireland's um, Cardinal. And it was then that I realised these people were all being injected with hope. It gave me a great sense that people go on pilgrimages and they may not all get physical healed, but they get hope. And that's, like I said this morning, today, as you're listening to me, all of you, the resurrection that we all have to pray for is the resurrection of the heart. Because, you know, Satan wants to kill the heart with despair, discouragement, anxiety, fear, drug. All these things affect the, the human heart, which Jesus wants to take and fill with love and hope because of the resurrection. And so I tell people, pray for the resurrection of the heart. Because once your heart is resurrected, it's alive with Jesus. And it, you have hope in the middle of everything, like the, like the martyrs. The martyrs had hope to the day that they were sliced to death. They never lost hope. Thomas More and Thomas Beck and all these English martyrs that I, I, I love and have read a lot because I minister a lot to priests in England, I say these, and all the saints, they had hope in the terrible times, even in, in convents and everything. And hope doesn't happen by willing it. Hope happens by asking Jesus, is by believing in Jesus. And so when I went back from from this trip to to um, to Lourdes, I, that's when I saw my first miracles of the Eucharist, and the Lord brought me there um, to Texas and to Mexico, across the border. And I, Jesus put on, and His mother put on a festival of miracles through the Eucharist. Now I hadn't said a word; they didn't even know who I was. And I watched miracle after miracle, and Jesus spoke to me and told me, "Little boy was miraculously healed, Down syndrome child, somebody with." So rise, all kinds of things happen. And Jesus spoke to me that night when I was back in, in the Jesuit residence in El Paso and said, I brought you here. Your mother, you asked my mother to teach you. You're here. And then he gave me this whole awareness that people follow. You know, we go, pilgrimages are wonderful places. And a pilgrimage is a mini journey through life. Pilgrimage is not easy. We start off and, and it, we have to be willing to suffer on a pilgrimage. Things are not going to be all just like you are at home. And that's the idea. But at the end of the pilgrimage, you get great grace. It's like the people who go to Lourdes or go to Medjugorje or go to Fatima or go to Guadalupe and these places, or even to local pilgrimages. That's the idea of a pilgrimage is it's a mini journey along parallel to your life because we start life. But as we journey on this pilgrimage, we get a lot of problems and sicknesses. And I tell people, you know, Jenny, that we all have a GPS inside us. At baptism, you've got your GPS. And your GPS, when, when the Holy Family, the Holy Trinity came in to live, and your Father, Son, Holy Spirit said, now we're going to give you a GPS. And this GPS, if you follow it, it'll bring you to heaven. That's the greatest gift. But and a GPS, if you don't follow the GPS, you'll get lost. You'll go round circles and side roads. Well, our GPS, Jesus told us how to live, give us the commandments, lived it himself, and showed the apostle. So that night in, in El Paso, when Jesus spoke to me, I remember thinking, I mean, we have the most powerful gifts to help us on the road to the victory. And that night he told me that people were coming to me 
but they're only coming to me looking for healing many of them and they weren't coming to him and that he was in the every altar in the world in the tabernacle he was in the eucharist which you know i give a teaching on that but and that people pass him by and they say like one of the this little lady came to me one day and she said oh sister bridge i i have to get you to pray and she was asking me for healing and i said to you know josephine you can go down to mass because you'll receive jesus in the eucharist she said oh but sister i can't see him i can see you well, I'm the voice, like John the Baptist, preparing them. Right. I'm not the way. I show them how to go to the way, and Jesus is the way. And that's why in these past years, uh, when Jesus gave me this word to, to talk to people about the Eucharist, and the, no longer that was I called very strongly to, to go around laying hands on everybody. That is a ministry, but that my ministry was to bring them to Jesus, and Jesus will lay his hands. And because I'm a Catholic nun, we have the Blessed Sacrament and the Monstrance. And it was shortly after that Father Kevin and myself were in a team ministry, and Father Kevin introduced in stadiums, in like we the biggest crowd we ever had was 300,000 in Chestakova, and he would walk with the Monstrance, went into Haiti, you name it, over 100 countries. And we saw miracles happen through Eucharistic healing service. So I tell Catholics, why would you want Sister Bridge? I'm just a straw, and a straw just carries the, the liquid to you. I'm just the one telling you where to get the drink, what's at the other end. And uh, now, for these f- nearly 46 years, um, Father Kevin went to heaven, but Father Pablo, who is uh, a diocesan priest, but is a beautiful uh, love for the Eucharist and is, I mean, he's tailor-made for this nun that's getting old because he's <laughs> young and full of zeal, has a wonderful ministry to priests, has been on the missions, so he knows mission life in Ukraine, which he was in the Ukraine for years, and then he was in, he's in Costa Rica. So now we carry on our, our Eucharistic healing services and uh, and that's how it's very good for me, Ted um, Jenny, because... I would be exhausted when people, when I see people after Jesus walking around the church, I say to people, do you not really believe that Jesus came? Or I see people lining people up to begin. I mean, I was at this place where there was a beautiful Eucharistic healing service and it was the, pre, the pre, young priest and he carried the blessed sacrament around and there was, I was not participating. I was there for myself. But I was looking at the people's faces as they looked at the host. And it was absolutely, you could see, I mean, they're looking at the real person, Jesus, and of course he'd put his hands out and touch you and heal you. But afterwards, this person came along and started lining all the people up to have a healing service. I kept thinking, to me anyway, it was like, yes, you can pray with people, but I tell them, look it, I prayed, and I pray when the, Jesus is walking around and I join my prayers with theirs. But I think the more people exercise their faith as Catholics in the Eucharist and in Eucharistic presence in adoration, the more they'll see miracles because it is Jesus. Right. You know? 
So, Sister, um, I know the time that we spent together uh, in Nashville a year or so ago, being with you and being in the church, but then also when we would go out to eat or different places, people were drawn to you. Um, they would see a sister, and, you know, everybody has memories from Catholic school. Yes. Or, and there are so many fallen-away Catholics now, and I encounter a lot of fallen-away Catholics who have turned away from the church because of— past pains or suffering maybe um, from a priest or none or, or right yeah. or with leadership in yeah. the church and so w- what would you say to those people who need healing and need we know they need the Eucharist but how how would you suggest bringing them back in or extending a hand well it's like um, can I use an example you know there are some people who who actually have died of food poisoning or people who have um, really a bad experience and I'm using this to 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 get to find what you asked me there are people who have had bad experiences with doctors wrong diagnosis there are people who have had bad experience with policemen there's people have bad but that doesn't stop that's not the whole of the police force, that's not the whole of the medical force. That's not all the food in the world is going to poison you. Now, in the Catholic Church, I tell people, the priesthood of Jesus is not the, what we, when we talk about the priest, the priest was bad to me, or, or different leave the nuns out because, yes, we made mistakes and frustrations and did things that should never have happened because people were frustrated, whatever. But to go back to the priesthood, See, people say, I don't believe in the priesthood. I don't believe in the Catholic Church anymore. I don't believe, and I'm going to the Pentecostal, because they're deeply hurt, and that's true. But it's like, Jesus gave me a vision one day of a beautiful bottle of wine, a very expensive wine, and he made wine, you know, so wine, he, he gave it to the people. And, but this wine was very expensive, very expensive. And he, this wine was brought as a gift to these people. And the people had glasses, their, their, gla- their containers, had little cracks in them and whatnot. But they poured the wine in. It didn't take away the taste of the wine. The, 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 there was a crack in it, but it didn't interfere with the ex- exquisite taste of the wine. Well, when Jesus from Calvary, on that Holy Thursday night, he didn't say, I'm going to make you, I'm going to pick 12 men that are like the Virgin Mary, never sinned, have not been, uh, uh, what Father said this morning, uh, not finished, you know, unfinished. Unfinished. Yeah, he didn't say you're going to be perfect. But he had such a love for his people and to to get us to experience the victory, which is the Mass. That he chose men who were sinful, who had all the flaws because of original sin. And into them, he poured his priesthood. He gave them his priesthood. So the priesthood of Christ is nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. It's the vessels. So what, what has happened to many Catholics because of a lack of education and because we don't understand is that we, we said, I'm never going back because we allowed the vessel. So we're being robbed 
of the real thing. Because we, and this is why it is so important, my ministry, because I speak to priests and bishops all over the world, have for years in hundred countries, and I tell them, your ministry, your first mission is to take care of this vessel, because once you're ordained to the priesthood, it's too late if you're not holy, because then you're going to cause your soul, not the people, because when you, when, when you do not live, in, in, in with Jesus close to him. And this is why in the priesthood, the, the probably is not the pre, the priesthood, it's the people, the vessels. They you either stop praying because it's impossible to, to become holy on your own. And you can do all the functions. And God so loves us that even if the priest was a murderer and he's legally ordained, it's still the mass. And it's still when he when when he takes that bread and wine, it is Jesus who speaks through him, and he says this, that, you know, woe to those who cause scandal. But Jesus doesn't deny us the mass. And this is why it's very difficult for us to, because we don't understand the priesthood and we don't understand the Eucharist. Because if you knew that Jesus comes on that altar and everybody in this church is sinners, everybody in the Catholic Church has to acknowledge from the Pope down that we all have to go to confession. And we can't categorize one sin worse than the other because sin hurts everybody. But, you know, even with this whole sexual revolution and all that happened, this is not just in the vessels. This is happening every place. So, but we single out because we're, we're, we are so disappointed that these men would live such a sinful life or a double life. So how do we rectify it? Well, first of all, our seminaries are places like where the first apostles went. Our seminaries have to be places that are deeply steeped in Jesus and that when those young men go in there, it's, it's, it's so important. And that's why, thank God, that our seminaries are changing and that there, there, there are many wonderful priests and wonderfully. But it, it starts like with a little baby. Your, priest, your priesthood, your holiness of priesthood starts in in your home. Now, we have no priests. Many countries now, like Ireland. And why have we no vocations? And the Lord revealed this to me. He, when I got the call and I saw the ordination of a priest 50, almost 50 years ago for a, a huge, beautiful experience of what a priest is, Jesus showed me that time that there was going to become, and this in the 70s, there was going to become a shortage of priests. Not because Jesus wasn't given vocations. He would never, ever withdraw what he has given to us, but that the seed would be sown, but it would die without watering or caring, and that we would become a society of contraception, reject, reject we don't want uh, uh, priests in our families, that many priests would turn away from Jesus, many bishops would turn away. I got two prophetic words in the 70s, and I talked to my own bishop, and the bishop said to me, I see on the horizon a great attack coming to the Catholic Church and it will begin in the sanctuary. And, and it has. But how do we bring it back and how do we get people back? Through holiness. The only priests that are going to have the effect that we desire is their own personal holiness in life. They, they, and, and like people like me, that we can look beyond the vessel and see what the mass is and evangelize in the church. Because I don't blame Catholics for leaving. I mean, I'll give you an example to show you that I know what people are talking about. Because And especially when, when you trust a priest and then 
his humanity, he allows something to happen. But I remember, and this is just a mild thing, I remember being in Paris and going through the airport. I was going to speak in Strasbourg at a big convention, and um, I I was just in my, I didn't have my veil on, I was traveling. Or was, did I have my habit on? I was traveling by night, you know, and oftentimes I go, you know, in tracksuit or look what I would wear for walking or that. And this, uh, uh, I went into this little, what, uh, one of the airline people showed me where the chapel was. So I went in and I was sitting there. I didn't really know if this was the tabernacle or not. So, but I sat on a little stool and I thought, well, I have three hours, I'll pray here. So a man came in with a collar and tie and a cross and I thought, well, he's the priest. So I said, Father, is, is the tabernacle, is this the tabernacle? And he was very rude to me. He said, well, open your eyes. Can't you see it? Can you read? And I said, I don't read Latin. And he said, oh. Are you prod- really rude now? And I thought to myself, well, so he goes up, he opens the tabernacle, and out of a box, into some kind of a cardboard box, he takes the Blessed Sacrament, and he leaves. And I'm sitting there, so I thought, I work with priests, and if I wasn't a Catholic that loves the church and loves you, I would walk out and say, well, if that's what, and this is in, I don't know who he was, but anyway, I wrote him a letter and I put it in the tabernacle. I said, the nun told him. And I said, I told him I was horrified at his behavior as a Catholic priest. Three months later, I was in a country and I was speaking to chaplains of airports. And I told the story and a priest walked up to me and he said, Sister Breach, I don't, you don't have to tell me what country because I know what you're talking about. But he said, when you lose respect for the blessed Eucharist, you lose respect for people. If you're not in love with the Jesus who's there on the altar. And I remember thinking, thank God it wasn't a young girl who was coming in distress. And that's the that's the area that I see. And then of course we have all the rest. But I blame I I, I blame a loss of prayer. And when prayer goes, faith goes and you become a functionary. But I love the priesthood. And I have no problem with the priesthood because it's Jesus' priesthood. But I do with the vessels. I love them. And I feel a mother's heart for these men to get them to believe what they have. Because that's half of the problem. They, do, they wouldn't do these things if they really believed, you know, in it. So pray for, I, I beg you listening to please pray for priests. Pray for the vessels. Pray that they'll be holy. Pray that, uh, that, that God will give us saints in the priesthood. Because, you know, when you think of the the, the the priests of long ago who came to this country and who went to all these mission countries and died going out in the in war zones, what they're doing now, to their people who, in my own country, Ireland, priests came knowing to Ireland that when they were found, their heads would be cut off, but they were willing to go back to that country to bring the Eucharist and to give their priesthood. So, Sister, as somebody who's a lay person in the church... Pray for our priest. That's what we can do as lay people is to support our priest, is to pray for them. Yes, to pray for them, but not to be afraid to say to them. You see, we have to be respectful. And I respect the bishops and the priests. But I I have often said to, to people, don't be afraid to say, you know, Father, maybe you might get rejected by it, but Father, I don't really agree with this is not Catholic teaching or this is, or, you know, or, or say something. If you see a priest will say, I mean, how many times priests have been saved who are alcoholics or who were involved? And I say to women, you, we are responsible also to help them with a celibate call. 
you know, and I went to Africa and I'll tell you, Jenny, I was really touched in one of the African countries where I was, I think it was in, in Malawi or someplace. But anyway, there was a group of Theresian African women, Nigerian or uh, African women, but I saw this in other countries and they met as a group of like elder women. And you know what they were doing? They were they were praying to the little flower, that was their patron, but they were also taking young girls and teaching them, because they were going to be catechists and all, how to respect and protect the priest in a celibate call and that you have to recognise their flesh and blood. You have to be modest, it's how you dress and how, you know, you... And I thought, what a wonderful thing to see in Africa. And do you know what the woman said to me? She said, we watched what happened in the United States with priests and we have learned if we want to keep our priests and if we want to love them and have them, we have to be willing as the elders of our parish to 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 treasure them and to take care of them. And, and they did say to the priests, you know, and the priest told us, they're a great protection because they pray for us, but some of them are willing to come and say, you know, Father... It's not healthy, this relationship you're in. It's not good. We see, we're all afraid to do this. Right. Because we'll be rejected. But it's better to die for the truth and to be hated for the truth than for falsehood. Right. You know? Right. So I think we could sit and talk all day long. Yes, I know I, I could go sit too. and talk to you. Yes. So sister, as we um, wrap this up, would you pray with us? I would love to. Yes, and I just, wherever you are, listen to this podcast. I just want you to know that I do pray for all every day at Eucharistic Adoration and in my holy hours. And I'll pray for you now and I'd say to you, you know, that just picture wherever you are, that Jesus is there. There's no limit. And I pray especially for all you women who uh, may be listening to me, you know, the Lord has given us such a beautiful gift in our femininity, in our motherhood. And motherhood is not just physical motherhood. Motherhood is the tenderness, all the attributes of womanhood and the attributes we have to bring life, to bring love, to, to be mothers in our society. This is what we need so much. And so I really encourage you as I pray with you now to, to ask Jesus to lay his healing hand upon you that all the attributes and gifts that you have in whatever your vocation, whether you're married, celibate, single, whatever, that you will be radiant like Mary was. I pray for all all men and all those that, that are listening that we will have that awareness of the beauty of the indwelling presence of Jesus in us. I pray today, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this podcast, Jesus, please walk into the place they are right now and lay your healing hand upon them. Lord, you know Every single person listening today, you're right there as I pray with them. And I pray that your healing power will flow through them. Send the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for a real anointing of your Spirit and that you would activate all the charisms and gifts, Lord, and especially of the sacraments, of the sacrament of baptism. Lord, rekindle and fire of love in us, renew in us our Catholic faith and give us the courage to to share this faith with those who do not know what we believe. Help us to believe in the fullness of truth that has been brought to us through our ancestors and through our first disciples and fathers of the church, the apostles. And Jesus, I ask you, I thank you, first of all, for giving us Mary as a mother and as someone that we can follow, especially as women, that 
Mary, please intercede for us, that we, like you, Mary, will believe that the impossible is possible when we trust in your Son, Jesus. We ask you to help us to be open to the surprises of the Holy Spirit. And Mary, help us that we too will love your Son, Jesus, and that we will recognize Jesus in his priesthood in the world, in the men that have been sent and given. And I pray today for our Pope, for our bishops and priests, and for all the priests in our parishes. I pray for those, Lord, who have turned away from you, who have caused sin and scandal. I pray for them. Have mercy on them. But Jesus, I pray for all priests and all seminarians and those who are forming them, that you, Jesus, will be for them the way, the truth, and the life, that they will allow you to mould them and form them so that you may place in them this extraordinary gift of priesthood. And we ask all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sister, thank you so much. I'm so honored and grateful that you joined me today. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me, and I'll pray for you all. Thank you. For more information on Catholic Life Coaching, go to my website, catholiclifecoachacademy.com. In the Catholic Life Coach Academy, I equip and encourage women to live a happy, healthy, and holy life by creating an authentic relationship with Christ. As a Catholic Life Coach, I help you create a life that you love, a life that is full of great joy no matter what you are facing. In life coaching, you will learn how to connect on a deeper level in your marriage and in other important relationships. You will learn to release unhealthy habits, feelings of unworthiness or self-doubt, and replace them with self-love and compassion so that you can truly live a happy, healthy, and holy life. To learn more about Catholic Life Coaching and to schedule a complimentary call that will help you design the happy, healthy, holy life you've always dreamed about, go to catholiclifecoachacademy.com. The music for this podcast is brought to you by The Vigil Project. They make music for the Catholic journey. To learn more about their ministry and to listen to more of their music, visit their website at thevigilproject.com.